0: to change otherwise we're gonna destroy everything you know so i mean what we are doing will not save the world but i think you need to start somewhere that's kind of my approach if you don't start somewhere you'll end up nowhere
1: welcome to another episode of startup stories the podcast that brings you your entrepreneurship education and startup training by europe's most inspiring founders this episode brings us together with Nicholas Huxley, founder of Elefbo, a startup that recycles cement bags from construction sites in Cambodia and turns them into awesome looking sneakers, sports bags, and other useful products. Talking to entrepreneurs that are on a mission to save the planet and have managed to build a viable business around that purpose is always very exciting for me, and I hope this conversation will bring you as much value as it did for me. Enjoy! All right, welcome. Thanks for taking the time and, uh, and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. Could you maybe start uh,
0: with the basics, what's your name and what do you do with your startup? Um, so, my name is Nicholas Hoxley. Um, I founded a company named Elefbo that recycles cement bags in developing countries, so mainly in Cambodia. The main problem in Cambodia is that there's a lot of construction going on. So these guys, they are building like crazy, like hotels, streets and everything. So you can imagine they need a lot of cement, right? So the idea was, okay, the cement, they need a lot of bags. So this the, the cement is, is transported in cement bags. And the construction guys, they throw these bags just everywhere, you know. You can imagine like the waste management doesn't work properly. So the idea was basically just to recycle these bags and make something new out of it. Cool. Yeah, and and you have a lot of products, right? Um, you make a lot of things out of these bags. Exactly. Yeah. So we started off with a with a kind of a weekender bag. Um, so it was kind of a mix of weekender sport bag, like you know, like a duffel bag, something like that. And the main idea was, okay, look, these cement bags—they're fifty kilos heavy, right? So they're like. I don't know, one meter uh, on on a half meter big. And they're really strong, like 50 kilos freaking heavy. So um, we thought, like, okay, if they can hold out 50 kilos, they might as well be good for, like, kind of a duffel bag or a sport bag. And then we started off, um, like, uh, assembling the material, the cement bags with other materials just to make it kind of more... um, practical for the everyday you know like that it's uh, of course it has to look wicked it has to be also practical and then we saw okay this material is actually really cool because it's very very strong very durable but at the same time it's also very light and that's uh, uh, that's a feature that a lot of other materials is missing so a lot of materials are strong a lot of materials are durable but not a lot of them are light right so that was really a feature that we thought about, then, especially last year. Like in the beginning, we were focusing just on, the, on these bags, a little bit of backpacks as well. But the main kind of focus was on bags. And last year, we were like, okay, cool. This material is light. So what can we actually do? What others can't? That was kind of the focus, like to differentiate us more. And then we started off really doing some crazy stuff. Like we we were doing like kind of um, furniture. And then we saw, okay, margins, margins are shit, <laughs> and transport cost is crazy, and storage cost is crazy. So let's do something else. So we started off doing caps, because caps not need to be light, you know, you're sweating and all stuff in the summer. So uh, we started off doing caps. The response was great, but to get really high volume in caps is difficult. So we started, uh, we went again on the caps we still have, but we went on, and then we started off doing sneakers. And sneakers is really, by now, our main business, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah people buy a lot of shoes. and, and Exactly. Yeah. Especially men. This this is an interesting fact. Because if you go in with handbags, sport bags, like, every girl buys a second or third bag, like, easily. You know? If she likes it, she'll buy it. A guy, he thinks about what he, what he has at home. You know? If you have a bag at home, you're like, I don't really need it, you know? I have a bag at home. Yeah. But sneakers... If you have five sneakers at home, there's tons of guys which will still buy number six, seven or eight, you know. Right. For Saturday and for Sunday. Exactly, exactly, sneakers, exactly. And Monday and Tuesday. and we- <laughs> Next <laughs> week, of course, yeah. So that was really an interesting thing that we kind of learned during our journey. Yeah. So, um,
1: I mean, we, we checked you out online and, and you worked at uh, Ernst & Young, Yeah. Right? right, before. So you were a consultant. Yeah. Um, how how exactly did you start learning to design those products? It's a big step to go from consulting to I don't know fashion or sustainable fashion. And a lot yeah, them, definitely. Yeah, you know m- maybe there's some people who have this idea and say I'm not a designer, so I'm not going to do it. What what would you tell these people? How did you do it? I mean
0: that's a, the I would say that if you always do what you can, you'll never learn something new, right? That it's as easy as that. If you always think that, hey, I'm only going to do what I can, then you might as well, you know, never learn something new. So my kind of approach was, okay, I like just trying out stuff. Uh, I don't know, you can give me anything. I'll find it probably cool just for a a certain amount of time, you know, because it's something new, you know. I'm fascinated to learn new stuff, to try new stuff. And and that's kind of just the nature. I think that's my nature and that's the nature of a lot of entrepreneurs, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, because... That's why you do something else, you know. Otherwise, I'm, I yeah, I might as well stick to the same thing 40 years long. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of the whole thing. I, I mean, I paid a lot of, I don't know, the... the uh, the, the english pro- the proper english learning money or how do you call that in english i don't know yeah, like, no, i don't know guilt. yeah like, it makes you sense. know guilt. Yeah. Uh, i don't know the proper english word but then, like i i pro- i don't want to know how much learning money i paid I, i'll probably go crazy if i knew that but you make a lot of mistakes and the only thing the the, the only right thing how to deal with that or how to approach it is okay i'm making mistakes don't do the mistakes a second time, you know, like realize what the mistakes are and really focus that you keep improving. I mean, that's, that, that's what you have to do constantly.
1: So how did you do the first bag? You know, how, what, what did that look like? Did you buy a sewing machine? You got some of the... How, how, did, how did it look like?
0: The first bag was actually kind of... Um, we, we took these cement bags and we, we <laughs> were looking for some people in Cambodia to do it. So the first kind of approach was, okay, I was in Cambodia, I I was, I don't know, driving around in this tuk-tuk all over the place in order to find people who can first uh, recycle the bags and then assemble them, right? So the first kind of uh, approach was, we don't want to use any other materials, we want to do the whole thing with cement bags. Then this was about probably like one or two years, and it was like an on and off, you know, like uh, I was there for a couple of weeks, then I went back to Hong Kong where I was studying, half year later I came back, Mm -hmm. and then it was like, okay, quality shit. (laughs) Uh, people find the idea cool, but it's not kind of working. It's not really scalable because the people down there, they're doing, you know, like they needed a lot of training, Yeah. Uh, the, yeah the quality standards are not working out. You need to, all the time somebody who's doing QC. So then soon I was like, okay, I need to go another way. I took about 20 cement bags back to Switzerland mm. and I mm. um, yeah, look for somebody who just brings me the know-how. So that, I think that is something which is really important if you want to build an idea, realize like, what you are capable of, but especially realizing what you're not capable of. So I was really, I, I knew, like I can't sue, um, I, I have a lot of crazy ideas, but in the end you need something somebody professional regarding the design, like, who tells you like, this is possible, this is not possible. And then I searched for a designer here in Switzerland and we found a girl, Julia Passani was her name, and she joined us from the uh, from the Textilfachschule here in Zurich. Okay. Um, but uh, of course, not, not not at all on a full-time basis. Like, this was completely just on a temporary basis, like, just really... Just, yeah, temporary uh, one day a, one day yeah. a week. Or exactly, yeah, that was it about, yeah, exactly. Like, one day a week. Sitting together, developing, trying out. She sewed her the things by herself, and that was actually like kind of the next step. So she developed the first prototype uh, in combination with other materials. This prototype, we said, okay. We can't do this in Cambodia because of the additional materials, like leather. Mm. We, we, we bought the leather uh, from Italy, from Florence. So we said, okay, it doesn't make any sense to send the leather from Florence to Cambodia. Let's do this in Switzerland. So the first kind of series of production regarding that model was here in Alstetten. You know the Basis-lager? Ever Ever heard of it? It's like a mm. complex of containers. Oh, um, it's right next to the uh, sex boxes, like everybody knows where the oh, <laughs> sex boxes are, safe. no, it's right like oh, the, are the, here. the big, yeah, the containers, and it's yeah. like a complex of, I don't know, about 30 containers, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of startups are in there, like it, they're, um, they're really cheap and there's a lot of also like kind of artists and stuff, yeah. so you can rent these containers as an atelier. Oh, right? okay. And we did this in combination with the other startup called Bivak. They recycled um, certain materials from the Swiss military and did the same thing. They also okay. made bags out of it. And then like we said, okay, we have the same kind of business. Uh, let's just share a, a sewing lady, uh, which produces our stuff. And then Julia designed it, did kind of all the simple steps, and then the actual sewing was here in Altstetten. Yeah, Cool. Yeah. And that's the first edition was the... Uh, that was the yeah, first edition about, yeah, what was about 80 bags. Yeah, yeah around about 80 bags, yeah, first cool. series, yeah. That was in 2014, end of 2014, yeah. How does the supply
1: chain look like today?
0: So now, I mean, we have 10 people in Cambodia, which really... Day, day in, day out, they go around the all all over the country, you know, they go into the fields, they go into the construction sites, streets, uh, and pick up these cement bags. Mainly, I have to say, though, uh, we recycle directly on the construction sites. Why? Because we don't want to, I mean, the construction worker, um, we don't want that he throws the bags anyway somewhere, because if we have to go out on the streets and pick them up, yeah. it's a mu- much bigger hassle, right? Yeah. So we said, okay, let's g- kind of go one step back and go approach the construction workers or the chief, the boss of the construction workers and tell them like, hey, just put them into a corner, you know, these cement bags, we'll we'll do your waste management, you know, we'll come by and, and yeah. just pick them up. And like this, we have, we can recycle much more there's less damage to the material, um, there's, uh, there's, it's much concentrated, um, much easier. So this is kind of the process of the recycling. So then there's
1: the ma- 10 people walking around and just organizing this, right? Yeah. So you must collect a lot of bags. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. yeah you
0: have a, a cement bag counter on our website awesome. and you see like, how much we, we've recycled, so, so far we are around about 40,300 cement bags. So that's like, that's a shitload of cement bags. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like really, I mean, that's, uh, I don't know, we, we, we once tried to calculate it, it's about uh, three and a half tons of plastic. Yeah, so it's really a lot of, uh, lot of stuff. So then the next step is, okay, these guys, they go out to the construction site, right? Then they pick these up, these cement bags, they bring them back to our um, production hut like it's, a, it's a very simple hut, you'll see it on our website, it's like a wooden kind of hut uh, with uh, eight different um, sewing stations and there the simple process happens. So they clean the bags, they remove all the dirt, all the I don't know slime and everything else that is, that is uh, like kind of rubbish around the, the bags. Then they cut them, uh, they do the simple uh, cuts uh, and also sim- simple sewing steps. And then, uh, from then on, we, se- we send these cuts or presets uh, to our production sites. So, we take these bags or these sets and re- de- depending on which product, we have different production sites. Okay. So, for example, the sneakers we produce in Portugal. So, we send these sets uh, by ship and truck to Portugal and the final assembling happens there. And the main reason for that is um, QC. So we want to have better control about the final uh, product, and also the material the additional uh, the additional materials, for example, the sneakers, the leather. Right? The leather is from Italy again, so we don't want to send the leather from Italy back to Cambodia and like that. That's that's senseless as well. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the the decision why to split the sourcing and the final production. Yeah. Because there's a big step in
1: between uh, the first kind of set of products you made. You you know you brought the cement bags back here, and now you have everything set up in Portugal and Cambodia. And how do you make sure that you know quality stay? You know that everybody does their job in yeah. Cambodia, in Portugal, and that you get and, and how?
0: Well, in- well tr- I'm not saying we we we, <laughs> yeah, we are in control of everything. So no, no. I mean we try. by now I mean this is a matter of time as well. You know, like in Cambodia, I, I was in Cambodia myself more than a half a year um, uh, in 2016 just in order to co- to really set up everything professionally, you know, not to organize everything. That I knew that I won't be able to be all the time in Cambodia. So I knew I need to be there in the beginning to set up everything as good as possible and to have people, local people in charge, which can manage the whole thing. So we have a lady, Q, who manages all the workers who recycle and then we have a guy named Comnit, and he does kind of the communication the distribution of the salaries uh, he he speaks quite well english so he we set up a facebook account for him which we which we communicate via facebook messenger um so he has we set up a bank account for him because they don't have any bank accounts, right. you know? so we knew, okay, we can pay him, he pays all the workers, he's with us since 2011, so I knew this guy, he would never run off with, you the, know, money run off with the money or I don't need to worry about anything. So we really tried to give as much as added, uh, responsibility to the local people. But then on the other side, in the beginning, especially 2016 and 17, when we really scaled the business, we had a lot of problems with QC in the final production. Because, I mean, our partners, um, um, there are small production sites, um, but therefore also more kind of experienced in high-end production so high-end fashion so they know uh, about very good high quality products but they're of course not used to cement packs they don't know this material yeah. so right in the beginning it was just like okay these workers they needed a lot i really underestimated the time um which they needed to really get used to this material you know it, it, they said of course in the beginning like ah, no problem no we pro- can deal <laughs> with this but uh, yeah, as you can imagine like they, it, was, it, was, yeah, it was freaking crazy yeah. Yeah. How, how did you I was just
1: thinking, yeah, back to when you, you launched your first series of you know, 80 products. Mm-hmm. How did you get those to market? So you had these products. What, what was the next step?
0: Uh, so th- at that time, I was still working 2014 and fifteen at Ernest Young. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the first 80 products, I just sold to friends and family, you know, I was really like, okay, guys, look, I have to, I have an idea here, buy the shit or, or you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> I was like that. <laughs> it was quite easy. Yeah? It's a nice <laughs> so, trick. Yeah. It was quite, and it worked, it worked. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're a good friend. So exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, you just need good friends. Otherwise, you'll, you'll just be alone, you yeah. know. <laughs> No, so that was really clear. okay, now obviously like I showed the product to my friends, I really tried to get feedback, um, we set up a website, so my friend over here, he has a uh, company doing websites, uh, he was with me together at Ernest Young. so uh, we're still sharing offices and he did the website, you know, set it up really cool professionally, we put some nice pictures and everything up there and then we send it out to our network, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and really, try, yeah, it's just very simple without any... I we didn't have a real marketing budget. Yeah. So we really just was... It was really a matter of networking. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it worked, you know, like 80... I mean, 80 bags is not a lot, you know. 80, if you think about how many people you know... You know, 80, 80 bags, the first 20 go like that. You're just first. very popular. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sorry? You're just very oh, popular. Oh, fuck. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, I understood the bags are very popular. Well, I'm all, not so popular
1: because you're quite successful.
0: Uh, well, it's, it's always a matter of perspective, I think. So, um, I mean, if you don't sell the first 20 bags with like that, don't start a business, you know, like then, you have a, then your product is shit. It's yeah. as easy as that, you know, if you, if you don't sell the first 20 products like that, then yeah, you might as well think about, hey, is this really the, is is the right a, thing? Yeah. You know? Do people want it? Yeah, them? exactly. So you started with the friends, right? Yeah. And that worked very well. And then you said,
1: I just spread it through your contacts, kind of. Yeah. What was the next step? Like, what did you do until now? And how do you want to do it to grow yeah, even yeah. further and in internationally? Yeah.
0: yeah. So this is like two different, like this is two big different things, right? So, I mean, after these 80 bags that was kind of my the moment where i was like shit man this could really this could really work out there's some real potential in here because up till then to be honest i was like you know like hustling a little bit around i was working tons of hours with ey so you weren't really thinking about you know doing this as real professionally and then after these 80 bags how easily they went you know and people were always like hey this is cool and awesome and you know you got you get more feedback and more requests and then I was like, this was end, This was like autumn 2015. And I was like, shit, okay, I think I need to give, give it a try. And then I quit. Um, to, to autumn 2015 at EY, went a half a year to Cambodia. And in Cambodia, I decided to do a crowdfunding campaign. So because I knew like, okay, this is a good story. I need to kind of get a lot of trust because people will think like, okay, I'm ripping them off. You know, like, the like people think, okay, in Cambodia there's some children working or whatever, you know, like... Yeah. So I knew, like, okay, I need to s- s- show the people what I'm doing, you know. So we, we made a film in Cambodia, did a crowdfunding campaign in the summer 2016 on Kickstarter. And and this was kind of the base, you know, like, we, we... I mean, it was not super, super successful, but, I mean, we wanted to get 20,000 bucks. You got we, 34. Exactly, right? 34. And, and especially, like, the 34 itself was not that much money, but this, the, it was more kind of the effect. Like, after that, suddenly, like, Watson, Handelszeitung, Annabelle, uh, Kabel Eins from, from Germany, nice. everybody was knocking on doors, you know? So I was like, shit, okay, now it's getting started. And, and, and then it kind of, that was kind of the next level. So then we went to the Christmas business, 2016, that was quite okay. Uh, it was not like it was still kind of the step I was still by myself. my sister was helping me a lot um, but she was still working as well like 80% so it was kind of still like I was a real hustle I was like you, you I was a, a, more or less everything I was doing by myself uh, by myself friends were were, uh, were helping a lot but it was not not yet a company you know so then in the, the next step was really like in 2017. We got approached by some really big names, which, I, which I'm, I don't want to mention, but they're like really super successful people which wanted to invest, which are like owners of big, big brands. And then like I was suddenly I was dreaming a little bit. This yeah. was like uh, spring 2017. So I lost a little bit of focus we, because like about three months, it was only about negotiating with these guys about the whole takeover, and they wanted the, ma- the majority of the, of the company. I founded GmbH, just to mention, in uh, autumn 2016, September 2016. So then uh, like, I lost a little bit of focus in 2017, and when the whole deal uh, busted, uh, that was about summer 2017, I was like, shit, I need to kind of start over a little bit new. So then I started recruiting, uh, found the first uh, small-scale business angel, which invested like a, a big uh, five digits amount. So it's not like a big investment, you know, like it, it's, it's not even a hundred thousand bucks, yeah. but at least was was like the next step, you yeah. know. Uh, and then um, I got a team of, of uh, two together. So I mean, two employees, team of three. Uh, and then we really went into Christmas business 2017, which was really, really good. That was kind of, again, next level. We, we did about 200K, Uh, turnover so it was really like okay, now now it's starting to get a real proper business you know like if you do like a 50k or something it's still not a business really because you can't pay salaries or like proper salaries at least Uh, and you're still like just reinvesting 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 and then 2018 started and then like we got approached by the next second investor and that was kind of the next level which we were like okay now now we need to Build a proper proper company. So I started recruiting new uh, new people um, with a much more experience, which was one of the most important decisions. Like first, I started, I was recruiting cheap people, like just people who wanted to. I like mean, cheap is maybe a mean word, but people just who were willing to work for uh, like for basically just very cheap salary, right? you know, or or just not a lot of money. But I was not. I was focusing on that because I knew I didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. At, at the same time, now looking back, that was a big, big mistake because you just need people with the know-how. Otherwise, you're not gonna grow as you want. You know. Do you, Do you have an example
1: of how, of how hiring an experienced? Person? Yeah, I'll
0: maybe come back to that. Cause just I would just want to quickly finish finish off with the development. Um. So after the investor came in, we we kind of switched or not switched. We um i i'm missing the, the english word um yeah, we from transfer transfer yeah yeah exactly change from a gmbh to ag which like was a great step in order to professionalize all processes you know like okay accounting and everything we knew like okay we have every year due diligence uh so we knew like okay now we really need to Build a proper proper company that was kind of the next step, which we are now here. So well, now we have a um, we have an RK, which was just registered like two months, not not even a month ago actually, uh, and uh, um, a team of uh, four full time FTEs, uh, and that was kind of the next level. Yes. Nice. So, uh, sorry, uh, coming back yeah, to so, your so question. So I w-
1: I'm curious to 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 hear what it you know what the effect was of hiring these experienced people you know how did that change uh, your your business what what was the impact i mean that was
0: like that was there was real game changer, you know like because i was i i mean i basically have no or maybe still have no clue about the fashion industry you know like i know how to build now a, maybe more or less a startup but i've never worked in a big fashion company you know so how the big ones do it i can only guess from outside but that was like the moment when I got when I was able to hire people which were working in this industry for like ten years. For example, Rebecca, uh, who's doing the marketing and content creation, like she she has tons of experience in this industry. And that was real game changer because then suddenly I was like, okay, like these guys are doing it like that. So even though I maybe not be able to do it like this right now, I know where I have to go. You know, I, I at least know the direction. And we don't have to do everything like the big ones, but at least some processes, even if you don't want to, you need to go into that direction in order to grow. You know, so that was really, yeah, that, that was really just an eye opener. Yeah. Do you have one example of something that changed that you realized? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about really simple things when you just when you, for example, how you do how you build up your distribu- distribution network. You know, like how, which kind of, what kind of distributors you want or how you want to contract them. So, easy example, we we are now collaborating with a distributor in Japan who's selling our products to retailers in Japan. So you need to set up um, contracts You need to set up clear guidelines, how he presents your products. And I, in the the beginning, was just happy that somebody wants to sell my stuff. You know, I was like, fuck, yeah. You want to sell sell my stuff in Tokyo? Go for it. You know, like, (laughs) take it. And then I I realized, like, okay, shit. In order to really look long term, you need to set up a lot of processes around the whole thing to really, like, guide him into the right direction, to give him the proper tools, and to, to have some security as well.
1: So you you mentioned before that you you registered um, a shareholder company mm-hmm. from a limited liability company. For 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 founders, that's a very interesting topic. You know, mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we're not we're not lawyers. Mm-hmm. How how does that process? I feel like, like a lawyer by now. Like I spent too much time <laughs> with lawyers the last half years, so and I'm like, shit. <laughs> no, sorry. What do you want? Yeah. What what, uh, what does that? Can you go through that process and maybe? Yeah, sure, well, it's a, probably a long process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: I mean, the one learning from this is, like, you can't generalize the cases. Like, e- uh, this is what, what we l- or also my lawyer learned. Like, we started off the, the whole process in February, you know, and we registered the company, like, the, just last month. So, yeah, look at right. the timeline, you know. And at the beginning was like, even the lawyer said, ah, okay, this will this maybe take three months, you know. And he said, like, okay, just to give me a proper timeline. Okay, it could maybe also take longer. But of course, the first problem was, our accounting was of course not not set up for for this kind of uh, transfer, like because you need a if you change from a GmbH into an AG, you need a proper revision, like or is it due diligence like from a re, uh, revisor, mm-hmm. you know. So these guys they go into every single booking that you have and of course as a small company as a startup you do a lot of mistakes you know so that was the first learning i was like shit, uh, we need to go over our, our books in order to really show them hey look what we're saying about turnover margins costs salaries we're not talking bullshit this is like we need to, to prove the numbers right and for a small company which is hustling around this was really li- this was really difficult this it just took tons of time uh, that was a kind of the first learning, like, hey, if you do your job right from the beginning regarding bookings, accounting, everything with numbers, like it, it'll it'll like save you a lot of hustle uh, probably in the future. That was definitely the first learning, and then the next one was you just need also investors or or business angels or just people who give you the money we they need to talk like talk real shit. Like, it, there's so much people out there who even, I, I think a lot of them have probably money, but they just, you, you know, they I they have a big mouth, There's nothing behind it. You know, like they say, ah, okay, I'm interested, you know, let's sit together and discuss some possibilities. And then you sit down with about 20 people and 15 of them, they're like, ah, okay, this sounds awesome and I know this guy who also could invest and will probably invest together. And then, you know, we can think about some options and bundle online and I don't know, you know, people spin off some ideas and then you're like, okay, cool. And you see all these opportunities and in the end, you'll probably have like out of 20, not even 10%, which like, they talk real stuff, you know, like yeah. these guys, I had, now in the in the end, it was really, it was really like these 10%, you know, I, I had like 20 people which I sat down, and in the end, we signed contracts with two people, you yeah. know, right. and these people, I saw quite quickly, like they didn't think about, okay, we have this possibility and this, they told me like, okay, how much money do you need, yeah. why do you need it? And then, until when do you need it, you know? That was it. And then I told them, look, I need this and this, for this and this, until then and then. Then they said, okay, prove me the numbers, and that was it, you know, that was the deal. And so, this was really a learning. Also, there's a lot of people out there where where they talk a lot, but there's not really, there's not not a lot behind it. Super interesting to hear, like,
1: Come back to the bookkeeping stuff, right? Yeah, we actually heard that before from another founder. Every, yeah, a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, a lot of times actually, yeah. they had exactly the same problem. Yeah, I can't remember which ones exactly they were, but but they had they said exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, we in the same stage as you are yeah. now, I think. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, that was that, that was my mistake. I mean, in 2017, I was focusing only on sales, everything else I didn't care about, you know. I was just like, okay, I need to sell my stuff in order to make money. So, I knew, like, if I can prove anybody that we can really sell it and and make turnover, I knew then it'll attract attention, you know? Mm -hmm. So, that was my only focus, besides, of course, like, the production. But that I was was able to manage. And then, like, everything around it, like, all this accounting and uh, and just everything that seems not important at that moment, I just was like, I, I, I just put it as second priority and that was of course a big mistake you know like that you make a lot of mistakes mm. yeah
1: yeah although you could say you know in the beginning
0: if you don't sell you can do accounting but absolutely i mean it's it's a difficult a difficult thing. i would say i mean for me it now worked out but in some aspects looking back i was I was definitely a little bit lucky. You know? Like some other investor, if I would have worked maybe with a big VC, for example, which, had, which like does investments every day, you know? they, if, if they would have looked at my numbers, they would have maybe said, hey, this guy is not professional. You know? mm-hmm. And then deal busted. You know? So I was just lucky that I had investors, which they, they gave me the time to really go through everything and, and they had the trust in me. That to really to really correct also my mistakes, you know, yeah. and and that was very very important. So if you don't have that, you know, then yeah, it's it's, it's gonna be a difficult, difficult change or a difficult task. Yeah. So would you say put ten percent of your time into doing those things, accounting? I would say probably probably more probably more. Yeah. I mean the thing is if you if you do it from the beginning right, you know it, it's it's probably gonna you'll save a lot of time also in the future. Because in the end, the time that I just didn't spend on, on these tasks in, in 2017, I probably had to double in 2018. So in yeah. the end, I didn't really save time, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you kind of just push it back. So I would say probably it's more towards a quarter, 25% of your time yeah. that you should spend on, on these tasks and, and then set them up professionally. And if you don't have the time, get somebody else, you know, just outsource it. Yeah. Yeah. Even it, 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 And if you don't have the money to outsource it, find somebody who does it cheap, you know, at least, yeah. and, and try to get them in somehow, you know, like, I don't know, in, in some kind of way, you know, because yeah, not doing it is, is not really an option. Yeah cool yeah we have cool. to start that yeah we absolutely. have to remember that yeah, for- definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely very soon
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's why that's why we love these interviews because yeah. we we learned so much as well yeah we Oh fuck, we need to do that. Later. Yeah. Oh shit, you haven't done that. Oh no. <laughs> Where, and the worst thing is like I know
0: 2017, like somebody like when I uh, talked to you to one of the, or one or two of of entrepreneurs which which already were quite su- successful, they told me this as well. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. But I went back home and all I did was sell, sell, sell. So actually, you know, I, I think like most of the people they know. Like I knew as well that I should do this I, but I just I, I had different priorities you know that yeah. that was that was it yeah.
1: how, how did you get in, the, in your first physical stores because you, you sell online but yeah. you also sell in in different physical right. locations yeah around Switzerland and also in, in Japan yeah right? yeah how how did you how did you get in those stores because those stores right they you, you can basically rent space I imagine Mm, no. Or, no. Is it, or is it, how does it work?
0: Like, like normally, okay, there's, there's two kind of common models when it comes to retail. One is, um, I don't know the English word, in, uh, in So uh, in consignation. consignation means that, uh, that the mm-hmm. shop takes your uh, products, puts them into your store, but he doesn't pay you upfront. So he only pays a certain uh, he only pays you if he sells something. Mm. So for example, let's just give you an example. I'll give you two bags for a hundred bucks. If you sell one of them for fifty bucks, you take maybe thirty, forty percent commission and give me the sixty or seventy percent, right? Mm. This is in consignation. This is quite common for especially small stores, but it's shit regarding liquidity because you don't have the money up front, mm-hmm. so this means you produce a lot, you put out a lot of products, and you don't have any control, you know. Because these guys, the the problem is with inconsignation that if the stuff is in the stores and it doesn't work from beginning, mm-hmm. it might just end up somewhere in the back, you know, because okay. they don't, but they don't care. You know, you did, didn't pay for it. There's other products that exactly. didn't sell better. Yet. Exactly. So what you that was was really quick learning. Like after second store, which we did this, I was like, shit, this is not working out like this. I, we we need the money. The cash flow is not working out. So then this is quite. This is actually how retail normally or or a lot of times works. They have a better margin, so you give them a better margin, but then they buy the stuff from you. You know, yeah. like they take a certain amount, you have a minimum uh, c- quantity which they have to buy, let's say turnover of a thousand bucks, they can choose whatever they want, or you give them s- certain sets and they buy at a better margin. So this is like, I, actually what we do today, we work 90% like that. We only work in consignation with really big players to get a foot into that market, yeah. like, uh, or, or to get a foot into these shops, but only with the really, really big players. Then we do in because you want to give get a chance, you know. You want to try to to really get the big deal. Yeah. And in order to prove the big deal that it works, you need to display, hey, our products are good, they're high quality, they, they sell. But with the small shops, we said, like, hey, we're not doing this anymore.
1: How did you prove to the small shops that, you know, it
0: was worth buying your product? Storytelling. It's only about storytelling. Okay. You just have to if if you have a proper pitch, you know you tell them the story, uh, how your product has been, just the story of the whole concept of the project, and either they believe in you or they don't. It's as easy as that, you know. Everything else is up to them. How know? about how about how important were
1: your previous sales in that in that conversation?
0: No. No. I mean, they they can't. Some of them ask about, okay, where do you sell? Otherwise, how much retail, like how much turnover do you do with other retailers? That I could tell them anything. They can't prove my numbers, That's you know. So they actually like, I would say ninety percent of the stores they don't even mm-hmm. ask me because they know they can't control anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell them anything. Mm-hmm. So what they actually do is they just. It's a lot about believing in you, you know, believing in the product. I mean, a lot of these retailers, they know their customers. They yeah. know what kind of people come into their stores. Yeah. So then it's a matter of knowing your customer and, and just kind of, okay, thinking about what fits this customer, you know, yeah. like kind of to bring this match together. Yeah. Yeah. So we're soon running out of time. So we should jump to the next uh,
1: big question, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to go back to your Christmas Christmas sale, Christmas <laughs> business, yeah, yeah exactly. b- Christmas, yeah, Christmas business. business, yeah. So looking back and and also
0: right now, actually, what was your biggest challenge and learning so far? Recruiting the right people. Yeah. Okay. As, and I I what I see from others, it's the same thing. It's it's just it's different, especially in a country like Switzerland, where you have so much opportunity cost. You know, I mean you don't need to be a genius to, to, to get 5,000 bucks somewhere, you know, salary, you, you don't, you know. It, it's, it's in Switzerland, actually, it's nearly too easy, you know. I mean, you sit somewhere in the back office of, of a bank and you, you get 6,000 bucks, it's ridiculous. And that's a big problem because to find, as a startup, you're not able to pay 7, 8,000 bucks, in, especially in the beginning now, you know. So to find people who are willing to work their ass off You know, to work even on weekends in the evening, 12 hours a day, and knowing that they're probably not going to get as much pay as somewhere else, that's really difficult. Mm. And then, besides that, to find people who are just, you know, cool, you know, to have a good time, who want to have fun, who are motivated, you know, to come out every, every morning, have a smile on their face, and, you know, just... It's always difficult, you know. Every day you have challenges where you think, like, shit, man, how are we gonna work this out? And you have people then who are like, it's gonna work out somehow, you know. Who are positive and constructive. This is really that's that's the most challenging task.
1: If you have one recommendation, how how to do it?
0: Take time for recruiting. It's really it's that's the only kind of uh, my mistake in the beginning was I didn't put enough time in recruiting. So. I just I, you know you put out a um, job ad and you interview maybe ten people, and you're like, Okay, shit, now I have to choose somebody, but man, after maybe f- twenty people this like this year, I was still like, Okay, still not the right people. I'll keep on searching you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of that's also what a lot of others do. they don't even search that's the first thing. a lot of them they think, okay, I don't have the money, I'm not searching, you know, mm-hmm. but then when you, if you start searching you also learn about what people do I need and also you kind of find out, okay, what are people willing to do, like for which kind of pay, you know. So this was also a big learning for me, you know, like in the beginning, I was like, okay, I need to pay this, the the normal market prices. And then at one stage, I was like, okay, hey, I can't do it. So I might as well just be open to the people and tell them like, okay, look, this is what I'm able to pay. Take it or leave it, you know? Yeah. And then you'll find out who are the right people because yeah. the ones you don't want to work for them, they're not the they're right not people the right. for me. Yeah. That, that's it's as easy as that.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a very good learning, actually. I think that that helps the people here, yeah. yeah. mm. ourselves as well. That, I think that basically covered our next question. Yeah, I, I would say the same, yeah. So we can t- jump yeah. one small question. Why, why are you hopeful for the future of, of your
0: company and
1: also sustainable fashion?
0: Uh, okay there's two two different things. I mean why not regarding my company? I would say why not, you know? I mean there I can see it's it's just amazing what we can achieve in these developing countries. What we have achieved already in Cambodia. Um, and we get approached by people all over the world, Nigeria, Benin, Philippines who want to copy paste our business model and or which tell us hey please do the same project in our countries so I, I know we I mean this is one side is the sourcing side and the other side we just get a lot of great feedback from the customers you know which motivates me every day you know yeah. if I see people who say like hey it's awesome what you're doing I love your products I love your project I mean that's that's, that's kind of the, the motivation you need then the other thing is why I'm, am I ho- hopeful regarding sustainable fashion I mean to be honest I mean fashion itself is for me second priority. First priority is general sustainability. I think the world is just, it's, I mean, everybody sees it, it's getting fucked up more every day, you know, like, or, or, you know, so people, short or long term, will need to change. There's no kind of choice, you know. We need to change, otherwise we're gonna destroy everything. You know. So I mean, what we are doing will not save the world. But it, I think you need to start somewhere. That's kind of my approach. If you don't start somewhere, you'll end up nowhere. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Did you rehearse that quote? Because that was very good. I wouldn't. Words. Like a... I, I I I couldn't actually. I don't want to, i i am not quite sure about that to be honest anyways it was i don't want to say it's my quote but maybe it is maybe it is we'll check that we'll check that
1: all right so our last question um is what what was the last book you read or blog post or video that you saw that that really inspired you or, or was very good and
0: you would recommend that other Founders. Biography of um, uh, McDonald's uh, McDonald's founders, fi- McDonald's founders. That was that was really uh, Ray Kroc's uh, biography. He founded uh, McDonald's when he was, I think, 54, really, in middle of 50s, and he hustled all his life. You know, he hustled tw- 30, 40 years and tried everything. He sold uh, um, like. All, everything that you can imagine, he tried to sell. Yeah. And it took him 30 years to find the right thing. You know, and that was for me like, okay, hey, I'm doing this now for like two or three years. And I'm thinking like, okay, how can I do, you know, you're already thinking like, oh shit, if I don't achieve this. And I see always like, I always think like yeah, about big problems, you know. And then you think about, and when I read this, I was like, shit, man, I have so much time. Yeah. You know, I have another 30 years. And I, I already did quite, quite some cool stuff. So you always have to take a step back, you know, see the whole picture, see the see the whole like the whole thing, and just think like, okay, he, actually, you know, like if you just keep on trying, you know, every, if, if if some shit goes down or something doesn't work out, it's actually not, you know, is it really that bad? Yeah. Not really, you know, it doesn't kill you, so uh, he, yeah, just keep on. And the Ray Crocs that that was really inspiring, you know, to read how he was hustling 30 years until he really, you know, then it took off like crazy, obviously. But then it it, it took him, like, he's kept on hustling when he was 50. Like, imagine. That's insane. That's crazy. Like, when I think about how how we are working our ass off, and then I think about a 50-year-old guy doing this, you know, and doing this, like, for 30 years, it's really that's that's really inspiring. That's inspiring. I can really Absolutely. I can really say if you have a couple of hours time, definitely read that book. Cool.
1: Never heard that recommendation. I'm no, sure. me neither. Yeah. So I'm yeah. definitely gonna check that out. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time and for the awesome answers. Thanks a and, lot. And that, that was books. very very interesting. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Startup Stories. Make sure to check out the show notes and our blog post with additional links at nerdentrepreneurs.com. And if you like our podcast, leave a review on iTunes. Cheers.